You open up a manhole, at the bottom of which, you open up a woman hole. At the bottom of which, you open up a door, that is actually a sandwich, that you burned in your toaster oven, last Wednesday. You take a bite out of that sandwich, and it tastes okay. It's only then you realize that it's not food in your mouth, but instead an actual witch, made of sand, who has now sent you sideways into a half-dimensional plane for taking a bite out of her. The half-dimensional plane is one of those with no assigned seats, so you watch as half the passengers completely misinterpret the rules. You've got a window seat, so you look at the window next to you, and then you look at the window outside of that window, the window actually facing the outside of the plane. And then you look at the space between those two windows. It's very small, and there are some dead bugs in there. And those bugs died in the crepuscular light adjacency. I'm Luke Alexander, and I'll be guiding you through this alien realm. Some of the stories you hear will be long, some of them will be short, and all of them will be outlandishly bizarre, which in the crepuscular light adjacency means completely ordinary and unremarkable. Today, we'll be reading Chapter 5 of a story called O to the Power of Four, subtitled Otto Observes Other Omniverses. Let us begin. Otto? Otto, wake up! Otto's world blinked into view. The light of a midnight moon trickled down on the silhouette of Sepia Sophia as she leaned over him. He could not help but to feel the magnetic allure of her sepia skin while she desperately attempted to relay serious information to him in hushed urgency. Otto, they, they took Cliff! What? Otto found it difficult to care about Cliff and easy to enjoy this semblance of physical intimacy. The bikers took Cliff. He was so remarkably pungent that when they started dragging him off, the absence of his odor woke me up. I think they took my balloon, too. Otto forced himself to stop staring deeply into the warm wells of Sepia Sophia's eyes, wishing he could take a drink and looked around to notice that indeed the hot air balloon and their smelly companion were both missing. It was near impossible for Otto to push his attitude out of ambivalence at this situation until his half-waking brain recognized the sepia-colored disapproval, painting Sepia Sophia's face. At which point he instead decided it was the most important development in his life thus far. Otto hopped up like a marionette, and then he wobbled like a marionette when he realized he'd gotten up far too quickly, and his blood circulation nearly brought him back down to the ground. Luckily enough, almost as if by divine design, Sepia Sophia caught him and held him up, and had he been a little more awake, Otto might have even tried to kiss her, or at least touch her hand or her hip or her heart. Instead, he just flailed around for a moment before bringing himself upright and fiddling with his hair. Are you okay? 
Sepia Sophia looked concerned, but also slightly tickled at Otto's behavior. It, yes, I'm, I'm fine. Otto cleared his throat and internally wished for some coffee. Do you know which way they took him? No, I barely figured out what was happening until it was too late, but I've got something that can help us. Sepia Sophia proudly produced a small sepia box from one of the pockets on her jacket. Otto knew that it wasn't either of her breast pockets because he had been staring half-consciously at that area the whole time she'd been talking. Noticing this development, Sepia Sophia gave Otto a doubly conscious look that slapped him in the face. Satisfied, she directed their attention back to the sepia box. She tapped on the top of the box three times and a mechanical clicking like gears on a noisy clock emanated from the box. After about four seconds of clicks and whirs, the top of the box popped open and split into four pieces, which slid diagonally across each side of the box. A round glass platform rose from the box's center. Within the glass platform was something between a compass and a radar screen. The mechanism housed in the glass was entirely mechanical and moved through a series of small bits of sepia-colored steel that rose and sank with a rhythm. There was a small dot that remained constant on the display, and as Sepia Sophia rotated the box, the dot stayed in the same relative position. It appeared to be tracking something. My balloon is an amazing piece of technology. Before I set out on my expedition, I made sure to have the best tracking service possible embedded in it. This is a quasi-directional compass cube. As long as the balloon stays in this reality, I'll be able to find it. Sepia Sophia twiddled with the gadgety box proudly. Uh, astounding. Otto stared in the vicinity of Sepia Sophia's breast pockets again. This time she actually slapped him. Do you want to help your friend or not? He's not my friend. Sepia Sophia twisted her quasi-directional compass cube counterclockwise, and a light shone from its front like a flashlight. You're kind of awful, Otto. She darted off into the forest, following the signal on the glass screen. Otto stood alone and silent in the dark. He glanced down where their campfire had been that evening a couple embers still glowing. The way the ashen wood was melting into itself reminded Otto of how the plastic on the dashboard of his PT cruiser had melted and decayed from heat and time. The way the leftover red light flickered reminded him of the fiery explosion that engulfed his PT cruiser not even a day ago and had literally brought tears to his eyes. And then Otto remembered that as chaotic and scary and overall insane everything had become, he also realized that maybe it had been a little fun. And maybe he realized that he felt a little bad about saying Cliff wasn't his friend, even though he realized he was incredibly uncomfortable around Cliff and found him oppressively strange. With that realization... Otto had another realization. The realization that he realized that he wanted to run after Sepia Sophia, 
for something other than what he realized as his unbecoming attraction to her. It was the realization that he wanted to go find Cliff. Really? Before he could properly realize any of these realizations, Otto realized that he noticed a familiar hissing sound. A hissing sound he realized that he had been thinking about just before his earlier realizations. And then Otto realized everything around him was exploding with a flaming force that pushed him up and through the air, which he realized was quite frightening. Through the sheer force of a blend of terrible unluckiness and supreme fortuneity, Otto soared like a human paper airplane through the blurring bushes and trees, colliding painfully with none other than Sepia Sophia. As she tumbled down the small sepia box tracking her sepia hot air balloon, sailed out of her grasp and bounced along the forest floor. What is wrong with you? Sepia Sophia growled, kicking Otto in the face and scrambling to her feet. You're pitiful. Otto shriveled and covered in soot, attempted to explain the situation. I, I, I didn't mean to, to, to... You made me drop my quasi-directional compass cube! Sepia Sophia angrily searched around for the cube, which was remarkably bouncing and rolling along as if it were more spheric and rubbery than cubical and geary. Otto saw the quasi-directional compass cube slowly traveling away, as clearly as he saw Sepia Sophia running off looking for it in the wrong direction. He saw both equally completely unclearly, that is, as the lenses in his glasses were no longer inside his glasses because they were shattered to bits. In a similarly unclear way, Otto recognized what could clearly be inferred to be the shape of one of the motorcycle gang members jump out from a bush like a cartoon villain and attempt to envelop her in a nefarious grasp. However, as Otto and his bruised face had already learned, Sepia Sophia was not afraid to fight back, and after a blurry blink, she was jabbing what was probably a large tree branch up the attacker's right nostril in a corkscrew fashion. Otto tried to focus on this event because it was not only fascinating, but frightening how deeply Sepia Sophia had managed to screw the branch into the attacker's right nostril, and also likely their cranium, but his eyes could only do so much unaided before a leathered arm wrapped tightly around his neck. Keep quiet, or I'll cut your tongue out and shove it up your left ear canal, grumbled the mucusy, liquored breath of a mustache-toting, single-lens, sunglass-wearing, long ponytail-rocking, rifle-holstering biker. Uh, what's wrong with my right ear canal? jabbered Otto. What? Why did you... feel the need to specify you'd shove my tongue up my left ear canal. Why wouldn't you shove it up my right ear canal? Is there something wrong with my right ear canal? No, there's nothing wrong with your right ear canal, but why would I even ask you that? What kind of question is that to ask? 
I was just wondering because something led you to specify that you'd cut my tongue out and shove it up my left ear canal. That there had to be some sort of cause perceived or otherwise that led you to specifically want to shove my tongue up my left ear canal. And along with that, there's the issue of shoving it up. How exactly do you plan on doing that? Because traditionally, ear canals go sideways, perpendicular to the human they belong to. That is, assuming I'm standing up. I guess you'd need to hold me on my side, parallel to the ground, with my right ear facing up, to then shove my tongue up my left ear canal. Then again, it might be difficult to achieve that, because having just severed my tongue, your hands might be quite slippery from all of my blood, and you'll be holding whichever knife you use to sever my tongue. And I'll probably be flailing around a considerable amount comparable to a freshly hooked fish, so you might want to have a companion with you for that. That said, you did hypothetically specify that you, yourself, would do that job, not you and some companion. And the only companion of yours I've seen so far was off in the distance, non-hypothetically getting a tree branch shoved up his right nostril in a corkscrew fashion. Now that I mention it, maybe you saw that happen, and unbeknownst to yourself, got a spark of inspiration, seeing your buddy so thoroughly bamboozled and that imprint on your subconscious led you to threaten me with a similar fate only now to realize that it may not have been the most effective or altogether possible course of action. However, you could have simply thought that you'd tie me up with rope and then go forth with your tongue severing and left ear canal shoving up plot. Moreover, you could also have planned to knock me out, and in fact that makes the most sense of all of them. Because forgive me for saying this, but you don't strike me as a fellow particularly inclined to intensive introspection. Despite not seeing his captor, the beats of awkward calm that followed Otto's soliloquy gave him the impression that the biker wasn't sure what to say. Ugh, look guy, I think you're reading too much into it. Maybe I just appreciate a good specific threat. You know what I'm saying? Maybe my life is full of vagaries and a little specificity goes a long way. Otto considered this. No, you were definitely planning to knock me out. You're right, I was. The biker wielded his unoccupied fist and reared it back in preparation to strike Otto's noggin. A half seconds, seconds, minutes, hours, days, years, second before fist could collide with cranium. A sepia blur filled Otto's peripherals as a similarly sepia Sophia smacked the biker in the face. This smack was so embarrassingly forceful that it sent the biker's tongue flying out of his mouth and wrapping around his left cheek. Sepia Sophia then dealt a voracious blow with her knee to the biker's groin, causing him to bite down forcefully in agony. This severed his tongue and sent it flying upwards into the biker's left ear canal. He crumpled into a lump on the floor, defeated. The force of Sepia Sophia's embarrassingly forceful smack had knocked his feet clean off. You... you saved me. Otto mumbled, eyes wide and heart beating, staring up at Sepia Sophia. 
Oh, give it a rest. Come on, we've got to go save Cliff. Sepia Sophia pulled Otto up, and they ran through the bushes. Blotchy shadows danced around them, and the eyes of creepy creatures reflected the moonlight as Otto and Sepia Sophia followed the beeping of the quasi-directional compass cube. They approached a thorny hedge, so thorny that it really, really hurt when Otto set his hands and pressed his face through it, as guided by Sepia Sophia. Through this hedge, there was a sight to behold. There was the rabid pack of bikers, gathered around in a circle, howling at the moon or at the liquor in their drinks, and at each other. There was a large tree trunk rolling over a roaring fire, and tied to that tree trunk, turning like a rotisserie chicken, was Cliff. True to form, Cliff still had an enormous joint in his mouth, even as the tree trunk turned closer and closer to the fire. The biggest, fattest, muskiest, mustache-toting, single-lens, sunglass-wearing, long-ponytail-rocking, rifle-holstering biker shuffled forward. He whipped out a large Vuvuzela from behind and blew on it menacingly. The bikers clapped. Hello, men! Y'all men, right? Maybe? No? Uh, sorry? Anyway. Hello, everyone! The day we've waited for has finally come! You see before you... The enemy! Tied to this tree, the most disgusting, foul beast we've ever faced. A biker with minute differences in outfit selection and personal hygiene. What a foul beast indeed. And we will destroy him today. <laughs> the crowd cheered voraciously. Cliff took a deep drag from the joint that was stuck between his lips and exhaled through his nose. Then he did his best to talk through it. So, uh, look guys, I know that we've had our differences and everything. I mean, I understand that. I think you're a little weird too, you know? But, I mean, that's no reason to kill me, dudes. I mean, this is kind of weird. It's almost like you expected to eat me or something. That's kind of creepy, don't you think? And dudes, what's worse is that every time you have me facing the fire, it burns part of my joint before I can smoke it. That's not cool, guys. You know, everybody enjoys a good doofy, right? I mean, come on. Otto was sweating profusely. He often was, but even more so at this moment. He turned to Sepia Sophia. Shouldn't we do something? Sepia Sophia shook her head. Well, no, and the time is right. Well, look, Cliff, 
I do agree that all of us enjoy a good doobie here from time to time. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, they all agree. But our problem lies more in your general appearance and also that we just find you very annoying. We've already decided we're going to kill you, so let's get it over with. Everyone, commence with the pre-sacrifice partying! Otto darted his eyes back to Sepia Sophia in confusion. Partying? Sepia Sophia shrugged. Then they looked back to the crowd of bikers and watched as they started dancing jigs, synchronized and spirited and threading through each other like some sort of glorious drunken biker machine. Otto looked at Sepia Sophia again. So, is the time right? Sepia Sophia turned back to Otto. Almost. They watched as the bikers jigged and jigged, and Cliff actually looked like he was starting to get into it too, tapping one of his feet and wrapping one of his hands against the tree trunk he was tied to. You know, you guys, this is pretty cool, alright? This is pretty cool, you know? I can get into this. With that, the jig stopped. Ugh, Cliff! What's wrong with you? You threw off our dance! Jerk! Ugh, this is why we're killing you! Uh, uh, no, God, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to throw him in the, I didn't mean to throw uh, uh, yeah, look at me, I'm clear, I can barely say anything, I'm impossible to understand. Come on, man, that's not how I sound. Hey, you know what they say, dude. Imitation's the most sincerest form of flatulence, you know? Wait, wait a second. Did you say the, the most sincerest form of flatulence? Do you think that's what that saying is? Do you think it's... Imitation is the most sincerest form of flatulence. What, it's not? Oh man, Cliff, you're so stupid. <laughs> Alright guys, let's kill this guy. I feel like we should probably go help him. Warbled Otto as he boiled like a frog in a pot of his own sweat. But here, take this, I'll tell you what to do with it. Sepia Sophia then handed Otto a large brass orb. It was cool to the touch and heavier than he'd expected, as most things were. Otto turned the orb around in his hand, tracing light scratches on its surface with his fingers. So what does this do? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just wait for my signal. What signal? Don't worry, you'll know. All right, everyone. As we're about to kill someone, as you all know, we're going to take our rifles off and shoot them into the air two times. Is everybody ready to get ready? 
everyone nodded at the lead biker. With that, he clapped his hands. Everyone reached behind themselves, pulled out their rifles, cocked them, and pointed them up towards the sky. All right. Three, two, fire! Boom. The first shot. Everyone cocked their rifles back and prepared for the second shot. And going again? Boom. A second fire crackled in the air. Otto's ears felt like they might bleed. Uh, Otto, I think your right ear's bleeding, whispered Sepia Sophia. Otto touched near his right ear and saw blood. Oh dear. Otto, mesmerized by the droplets of blood on his finger, watching them slowly dry, had not realized that Sepia Sophia had pulled out a flare gun and was getting ready to fire it. Sepia Sophia, what, what are you doing? In fear, Otto dropped the brass orb and watched as it bounced out of the thorny hedge and into the crowd of bikers. Uh, wait a second, what's that thing? All of the bikers stopped and turned to stare at the brass orb. Otto, I told you to wait for the signal, growled Sepia Sophia. Then she fired her flare gun right at the orb with a flash of purplish light. The flare hit the orb, and the entire forest was engulfed in a billowing cloud of smog and smoke, so thick, so opaque, that nothing could be seen. What was that? The bikers started growling like a pack of hungry wolves. They cocked their rifles for a third time, preparing to shoot at whoever it was that had exploded the smoke in front of them. But as they couldn't see, they instead began accidentally walloping each other on the foreheads with each attempted rifle cock. Otto stared at where Sepia Sophia probably still was and said, You're amazing. Sepia Sophia was not there. So Otto got no response, and when he reached out to touch her, hoping to feel her shoulder, instead his hand just got stuck with a thorn. That concludes our adventure for today. Thank you for taking this journey through the crepuscular light adjacency. Remember, listen closely, and you just might not learn anything at all. Hey everybody, it's Luke again. I'm glad you made it out of the crepuscular light adjacency. That place is pretty intense. If you really enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to it with so that you don't miss any of the juicy new episodes. And if you really, really, really liked this podcast and you feel inclined to donate more than the time you already have to it, then please consider going to 
anchor.fm slash crepuscular slash support. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash crepuscular slash support. If you're having trouble spelling crepuscular like I have, it's C-R-E-P-U-S-C-U-L-A-R. Anchor.fm slash crepuscular slash support. Check it out. All right. Thank you for that. One more thing. I would also like to consider submitting some shorter episodes, maybe 10, 15 minutes, uh, just every couple of weeks or something like that, based on prompts from people listening to this. So if you have just been listening to the crepuscular light adjacency and just start feeling really adjacent and really crepuscular and you just want to get into it, send me a one to two sentence prompt and I'll see what I can get together. If, if you want to do that, send it to crepuscularlightadjacency at gmail.com. I'll have that typed in the podcast description. And yeah, that's it. Uh, thanks for still being here. I really appreciate it. Talk to you again next episode. Stay crepuscular.